0: programs that focus on emotions um, are more abstract and don't give people tangible tools. So even if we focus on empathy and compassion, when you're faced with someone that has lived through a horrific event or is struggling with a terrible loss or illness or of some kind, people have this deer in the headlights response. They just don't know what to say and do.
1: On this special edition of the Creator Community, we showcase an author alumni, Jen Marr. Jen is a business development executive turned founder and CEO of her company Inspiring Comfort, founded in 2015. Her company researches mental health issues and trains people all over the country on how to intentionally offer comfort when we need it most. Jen is also a mother, a spouse, a runner, and a published author with New Degree Press. We'll learn exactly what comfort is, why we have such a difficult time offering it to others, as well as steps we can all take to overcome the perceived awkwardness of offering comfort. We'll also hear how through Jen's learning, the power of comfort led her to the creation journey of her book, Pause to Comfort. Then we'll hear how this act of creation led her to connecting with some incredible people and landing her a speaking and coaching engagement with one of the most prestigious leadership development programs in the world. Check out the show. Welcome to the creator community. This is a podcast from book publisher New Degree Press, or NDP. I'm your host, John Saunders. The show is designed to celebrate, elevate, and showcase many of the incredible authors that have published their books with NDP. This year, NDP will cross over 1,000 published authors. Today's episode is a special one. This is a new showcase series where we'll talk to authors that went through the program already and have published their books in the past. We're checking in with them to learn about their journey and see what they've been up to since bringing their books to the world. Today, I have with me Jen Marr. Jen Marr was a business development executive turned founder and CEO of Inspiring Comfort, her company founded in 2015. She is also a mother, a spouse, a runner, and a published author with New Degree Press. She published her book, "Pause to Comfort, in late 2019, after an incredibly successful uh pre-sale campaign raising over $71,000 to cover publishing costs and then some. This was the most successful campaign of the 1,000 published authors thus far. Jen, congratulations on that and welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, John. It's such a pleasure and honor to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Well, thank you for being our first episode with the alumni series. So, I gave a very Beef background uh, for our listeners, Jen. But could you tell us a little bit more? You know, what is the Jen Mar story? How did you end up being a founder of a mental health training company?
0: Well, John, thanks again. And as you know, life never uh, is a journey that is planned. Um, Just when you think you're going to turn left, you end up turning left or right. (laughs) So I was uh, my career was in international business development, and I had taken a break on that to raise my daughters. I couldn't keep traveling 100,000 miles a year when I had three young girls at home. And in that little respite from the crazy world of business development, I found myself helping in the aftermath of the Sandy Hook Elementary shooting, um, bringing in care and comfort um, with comfort dogs and other strategies um, to to Sandy Hook and other communities that had suffered trauma. Um, At the same time, three months into that, I was at the half mile away from the finish line at the Boston Marathon. I was running that race when the bombs went off. And I think it was a combination of two such horrific events so close together that I was um, involved in that really opened my eyes to the truth that our world is suffering. This was even way before COVID. And very few people knew what to do. Very few people um knew how to reach out and care for those that are really struggling people care but are having a hard time showing it so that's where the journey started um, my business development background kicked in as I watched on the ground programs that were meant to do well didn't you know kindness programs should be great but random acts don't end up connecting people and a lot of times programs that focus on emotions um are more abstract and don't give people tangible tools so even if we focus on empathy and compassion when you're faced with someone that has lived through a horrific event or is struggling with a terrible loss or illness or of some kind people have this deer in the headlights response they just don't know what to say and do so that's how i set off i'm like there's got to be a better way and that's where it all started
1: unbelievable So I I like this contrast you bring between random random acts of kindness and and sure they're great, but you know, is there a solution there? Is there a roadmap that others can follow from? And it sounds like that's what you've developed a roadmap to help others. So when you think about this concept of comfort, it sounds like it came to you through living through these experiences. Personally, I did see a picture you posted recently, uh, you running that Boston marathon and uh, I mean, holy cow, what a day to be there. Uh, and now, and then getting to be directly involved. That's amazing. But how do you, through your book and your work, how do you define comfort and, and how did you sort of unearth the power of it as you went through this journey?
0: Well, it's such a great question. It's such a critical question because people look at the word comfort and they're like, oh my gosh, like that's just, oh, it's cozy blanket. And people sweat, think sweat of- pants. The, <laughs> yeah. Um, they think of the noun form. They think of the inactive cozy noun, which is a comfort zone, right? The verb form of comfort is far different. Um, The verb form of comfort um, is anything but being in a comfort zone. Um, To comfort someone is not easy. Um, And if you think of the actual core word of it, um, whoever sat down and invented this word, invented it as a verb, a resilient verb, because C-O-M is the core to community. Come means together with And fort is strength. The word comfort itself is strength together, that when we go through tragedy together, we need each other. And it was, that is what I was feeling on the ground. And I was feeling that this is, people were not getting this. People didn't know how to connect. People didn't know how to work together to get through this. Um, And so you actually realize that the only way you can get through this is with each other. And these programs um, that were intention meant good intention programs on the ground weren't doing that. So it just formed from that. And I mean, I was bringing comfort. That was what I was tasked to do. Um, but I was realizing that no one else knew how to do it. So the definition of comfort on the verb form in the Merriam-Webster definition is to bring strength and hope. And that is so different than what most people think of as comfort today. So there's kind of this myth that needs to be broken, um, that we do have to get out of our comfort zones to comfort, um, and that the actual skill of comfort um, takes courage and intentionality. It takes listening. It takes so many other things that will then cultivate those critical emotions of empathy and compassion, and it carries kindness with it. Um, It just goes beyond what kindness and empathy programs are teaching right now.
1: Right, I appreciate the fact that you've taken this much broader look at it, and boy, the, you know, I guess maybe the fortunate or unfortunate events you've you've lived through and dealt with have, have given you greater exposure to this. Was there maybe a moment where you really saw, like, holy cow, there's there's a gap in the world, if you will, in that people just kind of are lost with this idea of of comfort. Was there kind of a moment where yeah. this was a breakthrough for you?
0: There was a red flag moment for me. I was um, in a, a crisis response deployment. I was in a room with a whole bunch of high school friends. There'd been two tragedies over the weekend, and I was sitting with a group of friends whose best friend's brother had been killed um, in a plane crash. And these friends were distraught. I mean, their their best friend was at home, obviously, um, with his family. Um, but I sat and listened to these students, these young men who cared deeply for their friend, but not one of them had reached out to the friend yet. Here they all had their phones in hand. And I overheard a conversation that went something like this. You know, did you reach out to John yet? No, me neither. Um, I don't know what to say. I know. I think he just wants to be with his family. I know. I know. I'm afraid I'll say the wrong thing. Um, I don't know how he's going to come back to school. Like, They cared deeply, but they were in this awkward zone that they just didn't know what to say and do. And at that moment, I mean, the mama bear kicked in and I'm like, I typically in a deployment, I did not do this. I we were just there in the background. Um, I said, guys, just send them a text. Just do it today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And just say, I'm here and I care. Can't wait to see you again soon. And just do that again. And again, I said, just think that the poor guy's at home on his phone, wondering why nobody's reaching out to him. So In fact, the one struggling and suffering is suffering even more because people don't know how to reach out.
1: And what was the response? What was, did they send the notes out and how did that go for these guys?
0: Yeah. And that was, of course, they were so grateful, you know, and and they showed me their text and asked what else they could say. Like they just wanted to know. And, um, and that was it. That was, I'm like, we have to do more because it was the combination of, being in Sandy Hook each week, I was there for every week for five years um, and seeing how wow. long term struggling and suffering is like you just in a standard crisis response in a school or a company or an organization, and they'll they'll bring in help for 72 hours and then it's supposed to be get back to normal. And, you know, the more of these short term deployments I went to, I'm like this, things don't get back to normal in 72 hours, these kids go back to school with an empty chair in the classroom or a friend that's struggling, they don't know how to deal with it. Um, And the standard crisis response, which is a very legalistic response, you know, make sure you check all the box legalistically, and then the HR department will deal with those closest to the tragedy. But in the meantime, all the circles around them, the friends, all of these opportunities that people should be getting together and connecting and caring for each other, um, we're not being addressed. And in fact, when you struggle, it is when you are most open to connection. We form our best relationships, our best friendships when we need support. Think about it. If you think of your favorite people in your life, they're because they're there for you when you need them. They've helped you through hard times. You've persevered through difficult situations together. Every single time, your friends are based more during trials than you are during happy times. Um, and so we should be embracing this. We should be bringing people together during these times and enabling them and requiring them to connect. And so that's where the idea was born.
1: You know, that's it. Thank you for sharing that and, and such depth to the story and personal experience. It's unbelievable. And the Sandy Hook, I in, mean, holy cow, what a tragedy there. I didn't realize you were there for five years. Uh, you know, thinking about the friends we developed through challenges. I mean, I think if t- to this very day, I've been out of college since, you know, the mid to late nineties, uh, my best friends are people that I, I met through that experience and talk about change and transition, right. All these sort of you're on your own for the first time. And that's a really, I never thought about it that way. That's a, that's a great, put a great point, uh, you know, Jen, in your book, you talk about, you know, you make the case for why comfort is important in the world today uh which i'd love to hear more about and and you also touch on you know sort of who needs to be comforted can we talk a little bit about those two subjects
0: wow well those are two totally different subjects i could talk for hours on each of them but let's start with why the world needs comfort today um you know in the book i got some people together and we set off to create timelines of how things have changed um but for a very brief conversation if we are to agree that the recorded history started 5,000 years ago, because that's what I looked it up. Um, For 4,900 of those years, life was very similar. Nothing changed much. We lived in small groups. We lived in families. We lived in small tribes. We took care of each other. We cared for each other. We would follow in each other's footsteps. We didn't go that far apart. Um, And that was our way we lived and communicated. And starting in 1900, all of these revolutions changed, right? Like we had the industrial revolution. We have the healthcare revolution. We have the transportation revolution. Um, and, and what's happened over, you know, think about this We assisted living, the first assisted living center, 1981, right? Like this happened so fast. Um, my parents were the first generation that went as far as they could drive away from their parents. My, and then that was my parents' generation. Our generation then went as far as they could fly. So, um, you know, I'm we're sitting in a situation now where my grandparents, all of their community is the small little community in Iowa. They all stayed there. My parents drove as far as they could, which was five hours away. So that radius grew. Um, and then... Our generation, we're all over the place. So now I have a daughter in Texas, Indiana, New York. I have a sister in New York, Connecticut. My parents are still in Wisconsin. We don't come home to our tribes the way we used to, and so we used to go to work, come home to our tribes, go to school, come home to our tribes because those community bonds and you know family bonds have broken down and are much different now. The workplace and schools have to pick up the slack of social centers um, because more and more, and we find this in the surveys and assessments we're doing, there have been groups that I've worked with that over 35% of employees don't don't get their buckets filled outside of work. They don't have a, a tribe of friends, of supportive friends that care for them. They're walking into the workplace already exhausted and burnt out with very little connection. And so the need to know how to care in the workplace in our schools is something that was foreign just a decade or two ago. You're like no that's the that's the role of families, right? But that's not the case anymore. Society has changed drastically and we have to recognize that a great number of people are not being cared for outside of school and work. And even within our own homes, um, we need to understand how to reach out and care Um, because the other thing is this complete change in how we communicate. Um, If now you look on the technological end of, you know, just in the last 15 years, we've gone from face-to-face, voice-to-voice communication to almost all screen-to-screen. And that has drastically changed Drastically changed our care behaviors. Um, people don't recognize things um, as easily, they misjudge situations. Uh, it's become much, much more awkward um, because we're always on our screens. And that's where people want to be. And so it's screens aren't going to go away. What we have to do is understand the impact they're having and try to offset that by teaching how to care through them. Mm-hmm.
1: There's an interesting one, providing care through uh, texting services, right? Or text messaging. You know, you, you made me think of a story I heard from a friend who's a, a leader in the financial services world, and he had an employee prior to the pandemic who was performing at a high level, and the guy lived alone. And suddenly the pandemic happened, So, and particularly at the high point where we're, we were really trapped in our houses and kind of didn't go anywhere but the grocery store, right, for months and months and months. And the guy started to underperform radically, and we had a long chat about it, and realized, I mean, this guy was suffering and talk about a need for comfort. I mean, going through these days, back to back zoom calls, and then at the end of the day, not having any friends to go talk to and sort of, uh, decompress with, if you will, he was just sitting there staring at the wall by himself. And it really started to eat away at this guy. It became a real problem and it took a lot of support and effort to, to move that uh, young man along, but they they, they got there, but I think he certainly could have used training like yours. Um, and so thinking about that, you know, is, is, is comfort something, you know, it sounds like we don't know it inherently. So can anyone learn to do this and, and how do they go about that?
0: Yeah, no, and it's it's true. And with the situation you just said, not only the young man should know, but it's the people around him, right? Like the, the idea that the one struggling is responsible to, um, you know, find ways forward is hard. We should never put the onus on the one struggling to do everything. So the training has to be around the support system. And granted, when we're all struggling, how does that support system look? It looks like you now focus on not so much inward, you focus on outward. And the scientific benefits. I mean, like we are wired that way. We are wired to be relational. Um, Our stress hormone cortisol is only offset by our relational hormone, which is oxytocin. So we have to understand that the only way all of us are going to get through this is finding that social support. And so how do you learn it? Um, Yeah, you you need a skill. You need a skill-based learning, which is where empathy sometimes can fall short. So we work really closely with Dr. David DeSteno out of Northeastern. And we all need empathy. but empathy, again, is an emotion and um, an emotion that even if you feel it, you don't know what to do. And something really interesting in our surveys and assessments we give, um, and this holds true We have 1000s of data points on it now, the number one area, the area people rate them highest themselves very highly on and their care behavior is that they can see people suffering. The number one area where they feel the least cared for, is that no one sees me when I struggle, across the board, every demographic. So that really points out that empathy action gap, that people see each other struggling, but they don't know what to say and do. So they're, nobody's seen them. So now they feel uncared for.
1: And so as they go through this struggle, it actually gets exponentially worse because they're not getting any support around them. So if I'm in that circumstance, I have someone struggling in my life, Jen. So, what, what do I do? How do I how do I help change that? If I don't have the skills, I don't have that training. What what would you what would you tell our listeners to do in that circumstance?
0: Well, we teach it in four steps. Um, the first is to really assess your own behaviors. And so, um, we all get stuck in what's called the awkward zone. We get stuck in this place where we want to help, but we don't know how. Um, when we assess people, we end up breaking it into a bunch of different buckets. Um, You have the deflectors who don't think it's their place. You have the doubters who just don't think they know exactly what to do. You have the fixers that try to fix everything. And you have the avoiders that try to avoid everything. And so each of those, it starts with understanding where, what kind of awkward zone do I operate in? And what do I need to understand for those deflectors that don't think it's their place to help? They have to first understand, no, it is. Um, Or those that are just doubters, like, no, you have to understand your skills. Here's what you're good at. Here's what you need help with. Um, And these are behavioral changes. It's not like personality traits. So that's the greatest thing about it. Once you understand what your behaviors are through your assessments, I mean, you also then need to recognize the importance of it, what we're talking about, um, to go through some training to understand why it's worth it to invest in the skill, the time and energy. Uh, um, next is equipping. Um, we go through, you know, we have the book, which gives all sorts of tips and tools in it. Uh, we have all sorts of workshops to go through. Um, and, and literally, that is just taking your assessment and applying action strategies against that, um, depending on what your awkward is. And then the last step is we have Cultivate, where we will um, train the trainer for programs, train people to be within organizations, to act as someone that will continue to bring these strategies forward. So it's, um, but on a high level, think of a marble jar. Think of the friend that you were talking about that is by himself um, isolated behind four walls um, during a pandemic. He just needed a lot of people to reach out to him. He wanted, he needed to know he cared. And so think of him as a marble jar that's in need of filling. Um, and a lot of people should be sending him texts. Maybe someone drops off his favorite coffee one day or put a card in the mail or have a lot more chats with him. Um, at the end of the day, it's never anything big. People just want to feel seen and so as you said those texts that you sent him or you know just phone calls and knowing that he is seen and cared for makes life so much better for someone like that
1: so what's interesting is that the the actually course of action doesn't necessarily have to be that big right it's just sort of showing up in many ways but it, i love these awkward zones that you talked about and how you've broken it down into four different categories. So first, doing a little bit of self awareness checking on where do I land on these things, and how do I how do I overcome? I guess is that a fair statement? How do I overcome sort of my awkward zone? Is that where we're getting at?
0: Breakthrough. How do I break through that?
1: Yeah, that's that's powerful. And then I love the fact that you've then given a, a, a roadmap uh, to help people. Uh, you know, one of the things you talked about in the book is you know this circle of comfort idea. Could you talk a little bit about that and it's sort of the next step of this process?
0: Sure. The struggle of comfort is actually the the process of it. All right. And we, we look at it as like five steps and it really is when you repeat these steps, you have that connection and you grow that relationship. And it starts with just opening our eyes every day to who around me is struggling, who needs to be seen, just as you said, you saw that coworker, whatever. Secondly, you Perspective take. You put yourself in that person's shoes. You consider what do they need to hear. Um, the third step is you come up with an action to do. Now, a lot of times in emotional trainings, all of those first three steps are kind of perspective taking, right? They're all kind of like, what does he need? What does he want to do? Um, and and this is where when we're teaching emotions, we will role play and we'll talk about what would you do for this person? What would you do? The skill of comfort. To complete the circle, you have to make that connection. You don't stop with perspective taking. So once you've come up with an action, you have to connect with that person and do that action. And then reflect back on how that helping helped both of you and think of the next thing to do. Um, the science behind it absolutely is when you help others, oxytocin is released. It reduces your stress and helps you. It's how we're wired. So the more times you go around that circle, it's like adding more marbles in the jar. Um, But it is a skill that requires the connection. You can't just think about it anymore. You can't just feel like this is what I should be doing. You have to intentionally act on it and you have to find those actions that really work. I love this. Uh, Not only
1: this concept you've come up with, the intentional steps to take to to get through it, but that it's so science-based, right? You didn't, you know, you had these, Uh, uh, experiences that sort of helped you see in this direction, right? But now you've done all this research and found out there's an enormous amount of science behind this uh, and a benefit to both parties, right? Which is so powerful. Uh, So how did, could you walk us now as you approach, you know, really, I think somewhere you're right around the five-year anniversary of your company. How did all this sort of lead you into getting this company off the ground?
0: Yeah, well, I think in 2015 is when we just started doing programs in schools. It wasn't a company yet. We were really kind of testing concepts. The company actually was launched in 2018. So um, we launched it. I had to make the decision, do I make a company out of this or do we just really just do this helping (laughs) program on the ground, which is what we were doing. So in 2018, we really launched our first programs. They were do-it-yourself programs. Um, and right away found out people don't want to do a do-it-yourself programs, they want somebody to do it for you. And not only that, um, the need was much broader. People wanted a take-home resource, and people started asking me to write a book, um, of which I really kind of fought against because <laughs> I, my both my sisters are writers, I didn't feel I was. I was one to sit down and write a book. Um, it took and it was a process, but I knew we needed to write the book. I knew we needed to um have trainers and a a program that we could actually go out and facilitate and train on the field. And so that's what we went into into 2019. Um and then COVID hit.
1: <laughs> and but there you were with a book now. And, and how um, you know, how is the book? It played a part in your business, how has it helped? How has it you know, been a, a key element to your business or do you use the books with your workshop? How does, how does the book play into the business?
0: Yeah, the book was, well, first of all, I just got incredibly lucky with being able to collaborate with Sky Quinn from Time Magazine. Um, somewhere along the process, I knew that the type of book I wanted was not a book of all words. Um, that's not how I learn. And so it's not comfortable to me, which is what was holding me back. And I was sitting at Target um, one day and I pulled this, you know, those little, they're not magazines, but they're not books. They're called bookazines. They're a little thicker um, and they're longer shelf life. And it was Times Mindfulness, I think. And I picked it up and I'm like, okay, that's how I can do my book. I can do my book like that. Long story short, ultimately, I found out who designed it and reached out to her. She loved what I was doing and collaborated with me on my book. Um, And once I understood that I can do, book like that it became just this wonderful collaborative effort of how can you teach comfort in visual ways and all from the paper quality to the imagery to the font style um, to a combination of stories and statistics and um, really making it much more interactive and sky was just uh, amazing to work with Um, and it became the cornerstone of what we do because the book outlines everything you need to know. Um, and from that book, then, we've built out training modules. We've booked out an online, uh, learning management system online. We've um, taken an assessment and moved it online. Um, so during the COVID, even though the launch was completely kiboshed because of it, um, we've taken these last years and really developed out the content. Um, but the book continues to be... Um, you Know the focus of everything we do. It's uh, when, wherever, whether it's a college campus, whether it's a corporation, uh, we tend to use the book to sell in bulk when we go train people. Um, using the book much more from a B2B model than a B2C model, even though we launched it on a B2C model, um, COVID kind of pushed us to the B2B model, which it's actually um, a lot more fun selling books in bulk. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hear you. And, and by the way, I have a copy of it. Thank you for uh, sharing this with me. Pause to comfort. Uh, Jen Marr and Sky Quinn, what a gorgeous book. And as you said, these beautiful pages filled with pictures, data points. Uh, so you literally found Sky looking through uh, the magazine rack, the book rack at Target?
0: Well, I I knew that that book was one that I wanted to use as a guide, but I had no idea how I'd find a designer. And I had a friend that would tell me, well, if you have something you like, see if you can find who designed it. And so I put out that mindfulness book and I went back and I saw it was Sky Gurney. um, And I found her on LinkedIn and I reached out and she (laughs) answered me. She's like, I love what you do. I can, you know, I can freelance. Let's talk. And, um, yeah, Skye has just been the greatest collaborator and, um, yeah, just huge, huge blessing in my life. She's amazing.
1: This, so this is actually a really interesting concept about the book journey, right? Because you literally cold called this person at time magazine or actually sent them a note on LinkedIn. Is that what it was?
0: Yeah. And here they're I, now said, they're- I love this book. I want, I want to create a book like this. Do you know? designers like yours. Like I, I would have never thought you could, you know, work with someone from there. <laughs> She's like, oh, let's talk. I mean, it was, I, I can still picture the day it was like winning the lottery.
1: <laughs> this, I mean, so this is fascinating because this is such a powerful part of the creation journey, right? When we go out and create something and have great passion and energy behind it, it's amazing how many, uh, mm-hmm. People that want to get involved in it. A, a young author on the program last uh, season. Uh, she's now developed a relationship with one of the uh, uh, top rising hip hop artists in the country because he was impressed or in, you know uh, 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 really moved by her message around it, it, healthcare issues for kids, uh, youth. That's incredible. Uh, so the creation journey brought Sky in and you two partnered on this thing. That is absolutely unbelievable. With a cold call or a cold note from seeing her magazine on the shelf at, at Target. <laughs> So how did, how did you find your way to the Creator Institute program in New Degree Press then after you had this concept? What what, happened, what was the next step there?
0: Oh, it's just it's such a funny journey. Um, Eric Kester reached out to me because he had a student that was writing a book related to mental health, and we had both graduated um, from the same university, Marquette, in Milwaukee. And so he found me because we were from the same university and said, could you help this author? I'm like, absolutely, I'd, I'd be happy to. And so I worked with this author, um, and when she was done, I reached back to Eric. I'm like, well, good. I'd love to pick your brain now. Um, my sister was is a children's book author, and she's self-published, and I didn't know if that was the direction I wanted to go. I really had no idea, and I so I just called Eric to pick his brain. I said, you know, I'm not sure which route to go. I'm not sure where to go. I have to make this book. And, um, and so we had a conversation and he introduced me to Brian and there you have it.
1: <laughs> and you dove into the publishing journey. Uh, holy there cow.
0: Yeah. I loved Brian from the start, loved what they were doing. And so, yeah, new. I'll never forget at first when he said, yeah, you, you know, we're going to do this with a crowdsourcing. I'm like, "What? I have to ask my family and friends to pay more money? And I mean, he had to. He had to uh, sell that one to me, but it was it was absolutely the right thing to do.
1: And so if i talk about awkward zone, as you uh, s- talked about earlier, now you have to go out to your friends and family and try to sell them, pre-sell them a book that's not going to come out for five or six months. And you raised $71,000, uh, which is absolutely uh, astounding. Uh, congratulations again on that. Uh, when you think about this journey, right? You're busy, you're doing all this work. How did you fit this whole... Process into your life. I mean, this book has incredible amount of detail and pictures. I mean, how did you fit this thing into your life? Mm. Author journey. Well,
0: it's I, it's a passion. It's um, it is it's what I do. I know the need. I could see the vision. It's crazy to say that when the book came out, it was like this is how I always envisioned it. Like, yeah, this is it. I knew it was going to be like this. It's 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 a crazy. I can't really describe it. But once we started working on it, I knew what it would be, and it was exactly what it was. Um, I had great co-founders at the time, Jill and Mary, um, were all in on this as well and really helped immensely with the Kickstarter campaign. Um, and so we had this team of four, it was Mary and Jill and Sky and I, and we said, let's do this. And, um, it was really a team effort. I couldn't have done it without Jill. I mean, especially was leading the charge on the Kickstarter and Mary was such a great supporter. Sky was doing the book and um, it was really a lot of fun. It was a lot a lot of work. I was a very early morning person. Sky is a very late night person. And to get this done, there were times that literally we would get on, I would be awake. She'd still, I'd wake up early. She was still working, you know, at four 30 in the morning, Wow. Um, we would spend two hours collaborating. Then she'd go to bed and I'd start my day. Like that's how it went. It was just, but that's writing a book, right? Like you get into these stretches where you're like, Okay, it's crunch time. And um you got to get it done. And so your mind is going to 1000 miles an hour, and you just go until it's done. <laughs> it's, you know, that <laughs>
1: it is a, uh, I think the best word I heard for it is it's an immersive experience, right? You just are yeah. immersed in this thing. And the more you immerse yourself into it, the, the better the outcome. I mean, here you are, reaching out to a complete stranger who did something already incredible and invited them into your creation journey. And they dove right in and became a meaningful, meaningful part of it. That's absolutely incredible. And I love that so many of our our authors in the program have that type of journey. And yours is certainly extraordinary. (laughs) Crossing paths at four 30 in the morning. I mean, Holy cow. (laughs) Uh, You know, Jen, when you think about this whole journey in the book and now uh, having it out there, you know, what's been a really positive surprise for you about that? Uh, uh, that's come out of just having this book out there in the world now?
0: Um, The reaction of really amazing people um, and not having anyone dispute anything, right? Like, I think that's been it. it, One of the greatest stories is um, in the suicide prevention world. We, um, this woman from New York that, just immediately put this book out to the mental health community in New York and asked us to do a research study. Um, So believed in the power of the need for connection in suicide prevention um, that we did that. And it's it's just been used and spread a lot throughout that community, which was a dream of mine. Like it's I mean, if it's accepted there, um, that's all good to me. And funny enough, like the thing about the book is it launched, but then COVID and it's worked, but it worked in a way entirely different than I thought of when we launched it um, due to COVID. And so instead of really focusing on a lot of one-to-one sales, um, because of the fact that we were pushed back online, um, it forced us to do virtual programming. It forced us to figure out how we can scale this quicker. It forced us to understand, um, you know, who needs this book now? And, and because even though the book launch was kiboshed, um, the world needs the skill more than ever. And so, um, understanding how can we best get this out in the world today? And with all these different opportunities coming in, where are we really going to focus our time and efforts? Um, and that's kind of where it's gone
1: to say that you have an entrepreneurial spirit would be an understatement i think jen and the fact that i love this message because what you really i think helping hopefully helping people understand is to hear this is that you know writing a book is very much like a startup right you had a you had this plan it was going change occurred right you had to pivot you had to find a new way to get it done in the midst of a global pandemic and you found your way uh, I think and as recently as yesterday, you continue to elevate and find better ways to work with this. Yesterday, uh, Jen, right, you did a program, a training, a coaching session with the White House Leadership Development Program. Is that right? Can you tell us a little bit about that story?
0: Crazy, right? Um
1: The White House of the United States of America, not bad. <laughs>
0: yeah, the White House has this leadership development program um that people have to apply for. Um and be recommended and and brought in that they do training for. But they also offer a few events a year called The Invite, where they open it up to other government leaders um, to really focus on emerging trends and important topics out in the world of leadership. Uh, And one of the emerging trends that they've noticed is how do we care for a very pandemic-weary workforce? And how do we develop cultures of care Across hybrid situations and complete disruption in our normal work environments. And over the course of the last couple of years, I had done some work with the Federal Coaching Network. I had done some work with the Department of Labor. Um, And I don't suppose there's too many groups out there that (laughs) are companies focused on creating cultures of care. And when the topic was brought forward, then my name was brought forward with it. And it was an amazing session of really great people. There was a panel discussion, um, really talking about this uh, very senior leader at the USDA was on it, Um, just amazing people were on it. Um, And I had a breakout on um, comfort, which was focused on the awkward zone, which was really focused on what stops us from caring, which really is when you boil down to it, the key to everything is if you can understand what stops you, um, enabling the actions is the easy part. So it was a great workshop. Um, it was great attendance, and it was the greatest thing was to know that you know the senior leadership in the government is focused on let's make sure people are cared for. And I think it's just an overall trend in our world. It's um, we're hurting, and we need to take a pause, and we need to understand what we can do instead of driving so hard. It's not all about work anymore. It's about making sure people are taking, being taken care of at work so that their work can be better and that relationships can be built. And it's just much more of a holistic approach to um, life and work balance.
1: Isn't it fantastic that someone in the US government is even thinking about this in terms of, uh, of a benefit to employees? And you made an interesting point in there, which is, yes, it sounds comfort sounds like you know maybe you go to have a group hug and this kind of thing, right? But it's much more intentional there's a roadmap to it. And there's a tangible result for business leaders, right? If you have people operating in a more comfort and caring uh, uh, capacity, chances mm-hmm. are you're going to actually deliver better results, right? People aren't depressed and upset uh, oh. and these kinds of things. Is that a fair
0: statement? It's a very fair, but again, I'm going to challenge you to break that myth because comfort, you're taking it as the cozy noun. And that's something that You know, if people recognize that comfort is strength together and that it is a difficult skill of connection, it's not difficult once you know how um, it moves past that. It's a big hill to climb, but um, that's the main thing. And so it does move it away from this cozy, inactive word. um, And it is a powerful, resilient verb, actually.
1: It sounds a little, I, just, I love that strength together, but thank you for breaking that down for for our listeners and what a key, beautiful takeaway from, from your book and all the work that you've done. And I love the fact that you just really went out on, it sounds like a creation journey to help others. And yeah. all of these incredible things have happened for you along the way with, with the book, with getting your business off the ground, with growing your network like crazy, and now helping hundreds, if not thousands at this point to really comfort each other better. And hopefully, you know, deliver better results for people's lives and, and ultimately their businesses. But it starts with that caring and comfort. What an absolutely beautiful message, Jen. Thank you for sharing that with us and, and being a guest on the show here today.
0: Thank you, John.
1: If people want to learn more about you and uh, your book and your, your company, where where might they go?
0: Yeah, please go to inspiringcomfort.com. Um, check out our programming. You can find me at Jen at inspiringcomfort.com. Uh, you can find us on LinkedIn and Facebook.
1: Jen, unbelievable message and story you have here today. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show.
0: Thank you, John.
1: I'm your host, John Saunders, with your first alumni series from New Degree Press, the the Creator Community Podcast. Keep moving forward.